Welcome to the Nine Moms Podcast. My name is Phineas, and this is my mama's podcast, and, and here she is. Hi guys, before we get into today's episode, here are a few little ways that you can support this podcast and the recording of all these beautiful birth stories. You can go to Instagram and follow me at Nine Months Podcast. You can give me some likes there. And if you are listening in to the podcast on your phone, you can take a screenshot and share that you are listening to that episode with me and tag me in it at nine months podcast and I will reshare and we can help spread the word that the podcast exists to other people you can head to patreon.com slash nine months podcast and become a patron there and help me support the work that I do here you can also head to asana etc.com this is a-s-a-n-a etc.com which is an online platform of yoga movement and meditation that I also run and on that platform there is prenatal and postpartum yoga videos that you can practice with with me um, that are pre-recorded and you can use the promo code I love yoga one word capital letters for 30 day free trial so please go ahead and support me any way that you can so I can continue doing this beautiful work for this community. Uh, And please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any comments or any any feedback or any reviews for me, please go to the um, apps where you listen to the pod and give me a rating there or send me a message at the nine months podcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening and now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the nine months podcast you guys. This is episode number 38 in the row already and it is March and the sun has been shining in Prague for the last little bit and it feels glorious to be alive I think. (laughs) I think that when you live through long winters and the last couple of years of of lockdown and all the things that have been going on, it's so nice when the sun comes out. And especially in this city, as soon as the sun comes out, the parks just fill up with people and they go out and have coffees and picnics and bring their families out. And, and me personally, after after these couple of years of of um, uncertainty it feels really nice to see humans outside and doing doing normal human things together it's really nice we also dropped uh, a little bit or eased a little bit of the mask mandate um, in Prague or in Czech Republic on Monday and um, however however we feel about that um, to me it's been really nice to see people's faces a little bit more I was dropping off my my kid at school at preschool and for the first time I saw the other parents face and we all smiled and we were like oh hello and we were introducing ourselves to each other we've been there for almost two years together and we almost haven't spoken we don't really have any community between the parents so much just a little bit and little nooks but not so much and it's been 
somehow really great and I and I don't know I think I've chosen to celebrate that a little bit this week just to have to have a little bit of humanity back in my life and that's been really nice um for today's episode I am interviewing an old acquaintance of mine her name is Mandalay and we met when we were both teaching yoga in Dublin many years ago I want to say I think it's nine years ago that we met 2013 I think and um, she is going to take us through her journey towards becoming a mother Um, hers was quite rocky Um, she was going through um, finding out that she had fibroids in her mid-30s and and just finding her way through that journey and sort of healing herself and healing healing her emotional body as well as her physical body we talk a lot about that and and the relationship that we have to ourselves to make space for baby or space for pregnancy um Mandalay very generously shares her journey um she calls it her womb healing journey and and she's done different types of work within that and I'm going to let her speak about that but but um what that has meant for her um in her life and going through this process of becoming a parent becoming a mother having a baby and going through pregnancy and birth um she also went through birth in her last uh trimester during COVID-19 that first little bit of the pandemic and she gave birth in Dublin in Ireland so we will be hearing how that was and and what happened and what was going through her mind as she was as she was trying to navigate that new space in the world while also trying to find a safe space for herself and her partner to birth their little one and I'm going to let Mandalay do the rest of the talking. This is a beautiful story, you guys. Just like all the birth stories, uh, Mandalay has a lot of information and a lot of wisdom to share. So have a listen in. And I really hope that you enjoy the story as much as I loved recording it. So without further ado, here is Mandalay. Hi, Mandalay, and welcome back to the Nine Months Podcast, I should say. We've done this before, and now we're doing it again. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Would you like to start by introducing yourself to, to my listeners and who, who you are and what you're doing in life and, and everything who's in your family? Yeah, so... Myself, my husband, and our almost two-year-old son live in the Algarve, in the Western Algarve in Portugal. Um, We moved here from Ireland last year. So we've been here almost a year. Um, We had a little stopover in Guatemala in the U.S., kind of looking for, after being in lockdown for a while in our postpartum period, looking for a home that felt more aligned for us. And this is where we've ended up in the Algarve. I um, I have a cacao importation business called Magic Earth Cacao. Um, through that, we support two families, one in Peru and one in Guatemala. 
both 100% Indigenous-owned farms and Indigenous-owned businesses. So we're really passionate about, um, about that, supporting Indigenous cacao and teaching about um, the ancient civilizations related to the cacao plant and the cacao spirit. So that's what I do now. I used to be a lawyer um, prior to starting on my fertility journey of healing my womb space. So I guess we'll get into that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's who I am. I'm originally from the U.S. and lived in Ireland for 10 years before manifesting my baby and my pregnancy and my soulmate and our new home. Oh, that sounds so great. And Portugal sounds like a dream place right now. I have uh, about minus four degrees outside my window. So, oh. <laughs> so that could, that sounds really good. <laughs> oh, I know this was one thing. Yeah. As soon as I was pregnant, I didn't know. Well, I'll let you go ahead, but that was one thing when I, when I was pregnant in very early stages, um, I just, my whole energy changed. I just needed to get to the sun. I just knew in my body, it was like, I can't spend another winter in Ireland. I need to get to the sun. My body, this baby needs the sun. And it was, um, so yeah, I am oh, um, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've got it. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to start then with your journey to becoming pregnant? I know it was a, a rocky one for you. Would you like to share, share that with all of us? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess where I'll begin is I grew up in a really big family, um, lots of cousins. I have like on my dad's side, I think I have 25 cousins, first cousins, um, and a couple of second cousins sprinkled in there. And on my mom's side, not as many, I don't know, like six or seven. But anyways, we were always together. Aunties and uncles always around, cousins always around at grandma and grandpa's house. So I thought when I was younger, I definitely wanted to have like at least six kids when I grew up. <laughs> and I remember telling my mom this, like, and I had a couple of cousins who started quite early. Um, they were teenage mothers. I remember telling my mom, I want to be a teen mom. I want to have my first baby when I'm 17. And then I want to have six babies. And he was like, oh, no, you don't, honey. You want to wait a <laughs> lot longer than that. You want to wait a lot longer. You have so much life to live. Don't you, you know? Get that out of your head now. Um, and also six kids is a lot anyway. So, but I remember having those chats with her a lot. Like I was really down with having loads of kids. <laughs> and then I got into my, well, I guess by the time I got it, I wasn't feeling the urge in my early twenties, like a lot of my family members would have been or some friends. And even into my late twenties, it wasn't until I was, I guess, 30 that I started to feel, um, feeling of wanting to become a mother you know that instinctual feeling that for a lot of women it just it, at whatever age they're at it's suddenly like oh okay yeah now i'm ready to be a mom like i had some friends who felt it at 25 and to me it was like nowhere in sight um mm -hmm. so so yeah it was about 30 I, I started feeling into it but um i didn't have anyone to have this baby with <laughs> so um i was actually in a relationship with the wrong person and um that ended and then i committed most of my 30s to just being with myself after many failed attempts at um finding the right partner and fast forward to 34 i was diagnosed with um fibroids on the uterus 
And it was it was pretty shocking because I mean I understand about fibroids now, but at the time when they told me, oh, you have tumors on your uterus, I was like, what? Like that, I think that's around the time that you and I had met um, through yoga. Um, so I was shocked. I was a yoga teacher as well, drinking my green smoothies, um, doing my meditation, living a pretty like healthy lifestyle in my opinion. So it was shocking to know that my uterus now was compromised in some way. Um, and then said, you know, we're just going to monitor every monitor them every three months and we'll just make sure that they don't grow too big. And there were no talks of surgery or anything at that point. Um, and then fast forward to 36, um, they had grown to a dangerous size medically, they, they said, um, which was really alarming for me. Um, and they recommended surgery. In fact, one doctor, the surgeon, um, recommended a full hysterectomy, wow. which I was like, what? I'm only 36 years old and I, I want kids. What are you talking about? And he said, well, yeah. if, you, if you didn't want children, I would tell you just to take up, take the whole system out because you're just going to get fibroids again. And I was like, so it was a really crazy time for me being told this stuff. Um, mm. And of course, no, you know, being in the Western medical system, there, there was no chat about ways to um, minimize the growth of fibroids through, through diet and, um, or acupuncture or visualization or changing my lifestyle. So though I did yoga, drank my smoothies, I still smoked cigarettes um, and drank loads of alcohol out at the weekends and um, party, partied a lot. So I, I wasn't treating my body 100% like a temple, maybe 50% of the time. So, um, <laughs> so I liked to have fun too. I had a stressful job, so I was working in law. So I, I needed that outlet at that time in my life. Mm. Um, but anyhow, I ended up having having the operation. Um, what they told me was, if I didn't have this offer, if I, yeah, they said to me, I could have the operation, but if I did not get pregnant within about a year or so after having the fibroids removed, then the fibroids would likely return and I'd have to have another surgery. And this would be getting me close to the 40 year mark where basically my egg count would be almost nothing and chances of conceiving naturally would be almost nothing. This is what they tell me. Or the other option is I do not have surgery. I try to get pregnant and something called red cell degeneration would take place. Hopefully that would shrink the fibroids or completely eradicate them. A pregnancy would cause this red cell degeneration to take place and I could end up having a totally fine pregnancy and birth, or I could end up having a totally shit pregnancy, very difficult and painful pregnancy, and even pregnancy loss because of the fibers. So there were lots of different like options thrown at me. Um, and the other thing was I didn't have a partner to create this baby with. So it was just, it compounded everything. Um, so I chose to have the operation and I chose to heal my emotional and energy body completely in that, in the physical recovery process so that I could conceive naturally. Um, so yeah, so that's what I did. I also, as a like insurance policy, chose to freeze my eggs. 
So mm-hmm. that was another step on the fertility journey because they had frightened me so much into believing I would never be able to conceive naturally after having this operation, especially because, you know, time was not on my side. The biological clock was ticking. I chose to freeze my eggs. I had to undergo, um, when you do that, the recommendation is to do IVF treatment to boost your egg count. So I underwent normal IVF like women do um, when they have a partner and they're going to be creating an embryo for implantation. I was just, I just did the IVF just to get the eggs and I explored the option of artificial insemination to become a mother on my own. Um, so yeah, so what came out of that exploration of, of looking for a sperm donor to do artificial insemination was, um, cause I had a job, I made good enough money at that time that I could afford to be a single mom. Um, and what the doctor told me after I had completed the IVF, um, successfully, um, and had chosen sperm donors. Um, she made me very aware that, you know, you don't always get pregnant on the first, um, what's it called? Um, yeah, maybe the first round, I guess, or first, yes. um, yeah. Yeah. The first round of, um, I guess making the embryo. Yeah. I don't know. I, I the, the, the terminology is escaping me now, but yeah, the first, the first attempt isn't always mm-hmm. successful. It usually takes yeah. a few, a few attempts and you have to wait a certain amount of time in between each attempt. I think you have to wait at least a month or two between each attempt. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at another year's long journey. So now I'm looking at being 39 before maybe having a baby on my own. Yeah. So um, I chose my, you're supposed to choose three sperm donors. So I chose my three and the first two were sold out. So my third sperm donor was just kind of like a throwaway because I had to choose three. The first two, mm-hmm. I was really into, (laughs) (laughs) but but they were sold out in Ireland. So you can only have three sperm donations um, in the whole country of Ireland because the population is so small. They do this to prevent incest later on. Mm -hmm. Um, So being that my sperm donors were sold out, I put this as a sign from the universe that like, okay, maybe this is not the right time. Maybe I can actually wait and meet a man to do this journey with, I don't have to do it alone. Mm. So, yeah, so that's, that's what I did. I decided to go out there and um, see, did the universe have another plan for me? Yeah. Could you, could you take us back a little bit just to, to your diagnosis with fibroids? Um, What, what does that mean for, for, um, for a woman to have that or is is that something that's hereditary or something what what is causing that to happen in your body actually yeah it's a good question so no woman in my family has ever had fibroids of course i asked my mom and my aunties and um mm. we would know if my grandmothers did so and what western medicine says or what it was saying at the time that that i was diagnosed is that it's just a hormonal changes and that mm-hmm. once you've what they say is after 35 years old, if a woman has not had a pregnancy, now I don't know if that's successful pregnancy or not like that's carried to term mm-hmm. or not, but after 35, if a woman has not had a pregnancy, then her hormones change in such a way that fibroids become common. 
Oh, okay. Whereas if you had had a pregnancy or babies prior to 35, your hormones would change in a way that you would not likely not end up with fibroids. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot more to know about them too. Like they're also more common in African women, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, there and and then when you start to look deeper, okay. So I started to look at the Eastern medicine route. There's a really amazing book called Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, by Dr. Christiane Northrup. Have you heard of her? No, not at all. Yeah. So she's. I'm sorry, Dr. Northrup, if you ever listen to this. I can't remember <laughs> if she's um, American or Canadian. I think she's American, but again, forgive me doctor if you're listening um, <laughs> um she, so she was a western medicine doctor gynecologist i believe and obstetrics gynecologist and she ended up having some some medical issues in her own life that caused her to look at eastern medicine um and she started she started seeing in her training she was seeing the way that doctors were perceiving the female body and the women's reproductive system and just things, some things didn't align for her. So she started asking questions when she um, had medical issues of her own to confront. And she started seeing patterns in her patients that would come in with ovarian cysts or uterine fibroids or whatever ailment was affecting the reproductive system. Mm. And what she, so I read this book during the time it was recovering from my operation. And I thought part of me which is I would have read it before just to know what path I would have taken. Now I'm very happy. Like I totally trust the path that I've taken is perfect. Um, but I learned so much in that book about my, about our bodies as women and um, the effect our in external environments have and our internal environment, our thinking has on our body. And basically fibroids are a result of energetic, imbalances um emotional what are the words i have mushy brain i've been up since 4 a.m <laughs> that's okay oh, yeah but I, we understand what you mean <laughs> yeah you understand yeah. what i mean so yeah. so basically with uterine fibroids he identified that women with uterine fibroids tend to have a loss of power and creativity in their lives and when this happens once we get like there's a psychological shift that takes place within us when we get into our 30s as women um and i believe this goes along with whatever is happening in our lives on the outside like what is our career what type of relationship are we in what is our relationship to our family members um what is our relationship to our community how do we treat our bodies um all of these things if they're not good for lack of a more colorful term can contribute to fibroids so in my case like i know 100 percent my fibroids were a result of me being in a job that i made me completely fucking miserable <laughs> mm -hmm. that i was yeah. constantly competing in like in life constantly had to compete to show that i was good enough to get to the next level or to get the salary raise or that I was better than that person in the other department or whatever it was, very competitive. Um, no feminine energy whatsoever in my um, in my work life. And then no no creativity either. 
because I just had to do the work that was given to me. And I worked so many hours. I had no time for hobbies or creativity. Um, and then there was the, the internal chat of, you know, my thighs are fat. My nose is lopsided. My yeah. hair could be thicker, whatever the things I was telling myself about my body and my face. And I hated my period because it was really painful and I ruined all my clothes, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah. it was all of these things that created my fibroids. And I fully believe that it's all these things that create anybody's fibroids. Mm -hmm. um, because guess what? Once I changed all these things in my life, they did not come back. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a baby until two years after. And like they were pretty adamant that within a year, these fibroids will be back. This is what happens. And I guess maybe this is what happens to women who choose not to change their lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think this goes with everything though. It's such an important conversation when we talk about like the emotional body and the stress that we put on ourselves through our mind and through the external, whatever's going on around us. Like, even if we're not trying to get pregnant or if we, you know, if we, we just taking care of our kids or whatever, it's just, it just translates into the physical body, all of the stress that we put into it. And it's really interesting that, that like modern medicine is quite removed from that. It doesn't take it mm. into account at all almost or even even the easy thing of like when you're giving birth it's quite nice to not have really bright lights and 15 people around you that you don't know because you feel unsafe you know yeah. like just just a simple thing like that that if we took a little bit more into consideration um people's emotions or our own emotions and trying to accommodate them what what would what would life look like i don't know <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. It's very, there's, it feels like there's not very much humanity at all, if any, in the medical mm. system. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but it's, it's good that it's there. I feel like also those conversations are like, it's not one or the other, but it could be so cool if, if they could cooperate, you know, if somebody knew things about fibroids that are not just how to remove them, or how yes. to, you know, like, but why are they there? What can we do to prevent things to happen again, for example? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, of course. All right. So should we continue on talking about how, how you ended up getting pregnant then in the end? Yeah. So after recovering from the fibroids, I, um, let me see at, at what point, because I could talk about this journey all day <laughs> i mean part part of my mind was like you know i may not have children in this lifetime I remember my therapist saying it to me um because I, I started therapy prior to having the operation because it it really was so unfathomable to me that i had tumors in my body it was just really i couldn't believe it um so i started psychotherapy just to pre prepare myself to have this operation and I remember so vividly her saying, but you know, Mandalay, not all of us get to have children in this lifetime and not all of us even get to meet our soulmates in this lifetime. And I was so angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so angry. I was so pissed off at this prospect, but I also had to see what's with that anger there, you know? So I started on this journey of finding myself and who, who would I be if not a mother? 
in this life? Who would I be if not someone's soulmate and life partner in this life? I had never considered it once. And now I'm 37 years old having to consider this. Um, mm -hmm. So that journey took me to the jungles of Peru, working with shamans and the master plant ayahuasca and El Rao, um, to the mountaintops of the Andes, working with the master plant Walshuma. Um, Cacao had come into my life very shortly after my operation. She's a heart opening medicine and a very feminine spirit. Um, from Peru, I ended up in Nepal. I went to the Buddhist monastery for a while. I did a few silent retreats just to really come home to myself and come home to truth because that had obviously been really lacking in my life to get me into this space where I was. Um, so in, on that journey, I learned to trust the unseen. I learned to trust that whatever was going to happen in my life was meant for me exactly and that there are no mistakes. Um, I got to know myself, like truly who I was born into this world as, not who I was conditioned to become based on who my family was and the society I grew up in. Um, and I realized this was a much better foundation for becoming a mother, but I also was open to the idea that I may not get pregnant and birth a child of my own, but I may be able to mother in some other ways. So I think this, and you know, I, I work with women one-to-one -one on fertility journeys and womb healing journeys, and this is a really important part of the fertility journey, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is coming to terms, just accepting, as hard it is, as it is, the idea of maybe not becoming a mother in this lifetime. Yeah. And when I say this to my clients, like, just like it happened to me, usually they get very angry yeah. um, because it's not what we want to consider those of us who want to be moms. Um, but I, I believe coming to that acceptance was a huge part of my body being able to let go of a bunch of shit, whatever else was attached to that resistance to not becoming a mother in this lifetime. Um, created the space in my body for a baby to be conceived. Because, mm. you know, it, it comes back to the energy of how, how did fibroids come about in my body? You know, it all comes back to energy. And if you're holding resistance in your body, um, if you're holding, yeah, there's, there's things to be let go. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want, on the fertility journey, you don't want resistance. You don't, you, you need to be in complete surrender and acceptance for conception and this baby to manifest. This has been my experience and this is what I truly believe for those of us women who have trouble conceiving. Um, failing a, ver a very serious medical condition that is preventing pregnancy, of course, like that's, that's not included and that is a very real, um, that's a very real reality for some women, I understand. Um, but for myself, I feel that I healed my, I healed a lot of ancestral trauma. I healed a lot of trauma that, that happened in this lifetime. Um, and I created a lot of space in my energy body and in 
energy in my womb to be able to conceive. So, um, so yeah, I, when I came, when I left the Buddhist monastery in Nepal, um, while I was there, I had this huge, like this download of a retreat that I needed to go back to Ireland to hold. And it was called the Womb Awakening Retreat. I didn't know where I was going to go after that. I just knew I had to get back to Ireland. I had to hold this retreat. I planned a couple of cacao ceremonies for that summer. And then I was going to see what was going to happen in the fall and the winter. Maybe I'd return. Yeah. So when I left Nepal, I was very clear that I had to hold this retreat back in Ireland called the Room Awakening Retreat, where we would do energetic practices um, and eat really healthy foods and do shamanic work in connecting to our room space and healing any traumas, losses, or grief that we had stored there. Um, and it wasn't particularly focused on fertility, just on connecting to the self as women. Um, and I was only home maybe a month. I can't remember exactly, but I hadn't held the retreat yet. I was holding a cow ceremony. It was summer solstice, actually, 2019. And this man walks in and we knew something about each other immediately. Like rarely do men come to my cacao ceremonies. Usually there was just like one and they were never the first to arrive or they'd come with a girlfriend or a sister or whatever. And um, he had come by himself and he made sure to get there early. And this is my husband now, David. So we saw each other and we both like, we didn't know, but we knew, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was unmistakable that there was something between us, but like I have chills now. It was, yeah, it was unlike an experience that either of us had had ever had. Um, and both of us had been on, we had both made vows of celibacy um, that we were coming up to a year on or more. And um, we had both had our trials and tribulations and relationships. And anyone we met, we just knew. And um, it was it was history from there. We started started dating right away. He helped me prepare my, my room awakening retreat was just a couple of weeks later. He helped me prepare for that. Um, we went out collecting mugwort and he helped me do all the bits for me to get this retreat going. Um, the retreat was amazing. And then just a few weeks later, only six weeks after meeting David, um, we fell pregnant. Oh my goodness. That's so quick. Without <laughs> without even trying. So I wasn't I wasn't supposed to even be ov I wasn't ovulating at the time. So I guess it means the swimmers last they they hang out for a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or I I, ov I ovulated early or but um yeah, I didn't I in my mind I was so convinced that I would have trouble conceiving naturally. Mm -hmm. Um like I had put the eggs in the freezer. The eggs are still in the freezer in Dublin. I put the eggs there hoping to never have to use them, but knowing that they were there if, if I needed them at some point in the future. So I guess in my mind, it was like, if I get pregnant naturally, that's going to be kind of a miracle, you know, even though I've done all this to, to clear my energy body and you know, my body's a much different body now for receiving a birth um, or pregnancy and a birth. Um, there was still the doubts in my mind that it would happen so easily. So 
yeah, I was, I was seven weeks pregnant before I, before I knew that I was actually pregnant. Mm. <laughs> and for someone like for my husband even says like, are you like, how did you not know? Like, and people say this, but it's like, when you're as a woman, when you're told by medical professionals, you will not be able to have a baby on your own. Yeah. It is not going to be easy. Like there's a part of you that really believes it. And this part, and this was told to me before I had started my healing journey, before I had started acupuncture and my womb abdominal massage and, and all of those really healing things. Mm. Um, so yeah. So at seven weeks after thinking it was the autumn equinox, I had done an abortion miscarriage support workshop. Um, and I thought, you know, I was just re, you know, re letting go some trauma from a pregnancy release I had when I was younger. Um, I had traveled home to the state. So I'm like, oh, this is just jet lag I'm experiencing. So I had all these excuses for why my energy was super low. And, um, turns out, and then I was just like dying to get to the sun. Like, I just need to get to the sun. What's going on with me? And turns out I was pregnant. Oh, so, so um, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. But then it was also scary because it's like, okay, now I've got to get to 12 weeks. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you How know, did you find I, out that you were pregnant? I took a test. I took a home test. So I was talking, it was Monday morning. I had done this abortion and miscarriage support workshop over the weekend with a good friend of mine. And it came to Monday and like I called one of my friends on the phone and she has three babies already. And I was telling her this and that is going on and this is going on. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And mm. um, she was like, maybe you're pregnant. And I'm like, no, couldn't be <laughs> like, really? I just met, I, like, we've just met, like, we know we're meant to be together, but couldn't be. Yeah. And um, she said, just go get a test. Just see, you have nothing to lose. So I went and got the test. Oh, also another reason I didn't think I was pregnant is because I had a one day period. So what I thought was one day. Yeah. Now people say it was probably implantation, but it couldn't have been implantation because it was two weeks after conception. So just one day that I bled and it was around the time that my period should have been. And I thought also like, okay, this is, I've, I've cleansed my womb space so much that I don't have that much to shed anymore. Mm -hmm. So my, my bleeds now, they were getting shorter and shorter and less and less. Um, so this one day bleed, I thought, oh my God, totally healed. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had a one day menstruation <laughs> and um, no, turns out I was just totally pregnant and who knows what was going on with that bit of blood that, that came out. Mm -hmm. But um <laughs> But yeah, so 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 there you are. Oh, that's really nice. Um, and how did you share the news with your partner? Well, yeah, well, so he was living out in Wicklow and I was living in the city um, in Dublin. And uh, he, yeah, he wasn't planning to be back up in Dublin for a few days. And I was like, are you sure you just can't? I called him, are you sure you just can't? I'm like, I really miss you. I'd really love to see you tonight. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm working. I'd love, maybe I can get there tomorrow. And then tomorrow came, I'm not going to be able to get down there. I'm really like dying to see you too, but I just can't. And I was like, okay, um, that's cool. Like, you know, like, like, let's just talk later. And I'm like, I can't tell him over the phone that I'm pregnant, but I also 
can't fucking wait to tell him, you know? Yeah. So I, I did, I was like, Oh, I just really want to talk to you about something. And he's like, okay, well, can you tell him? And I was like, no, I have to tell you in person. And he's like, um, you're pregnant. And I just was like, Oh, I burst into I was like, yes. Is that okay? Is that okay? I'm so sorry. I know this wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, no, it's totally okay. It's awesome. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, surprising, but I'm so excited. This is brilliant. Mm. So that really put my mind at ease. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that that's how it went. The first, as I said, the first 12 weeks, I was, you know, very... I was trying not to let any anxiety take over because, you know, I had wanted this for so long and I thought, well, we have to get to the 12 week mark, yeah. make sure it sticks as they say. Um, and then I can really relax into this and enjoy. Um, so yeah. Oh, that's really nice. And how was, yeah. how was the rest of the pregnancy then? Did you, did you start preparing for for birth early on, or did you take any courses, maybe, or how how was all of that for you? Well, no, I didn't take any. I didn't take any courses. I was looking into taking a birth course, but also I didn't want to get my hopes up. Mm. So even though I made it past the twelve week mark, I kind of still wasn't convinced that I would carry this baby to term and birth him into life. Um, and I didn't have a lot of worry over it. It was just, I was just being pragmatic, I guess. The journey had been right. so long. I didn't want to get my hopes up too high. So that's the reason I didn't look at doing any courses early on. I joined a prenatal yoga class with one of my best friends, uh, Lucy, who was holding them. And that was really supportive. Yeah. Um, I like being able to share with the other women, but to do a full on birth course, it, it was, I just, I didn't trust it. So I said, I'll wait until I get into my third trimester and I'll do it then when I know that I'm having this baby. Hmm. So, so is that something so yeah. that you did throughout the pregnancy then just hold on a little bit and wait till, till the later stages to, to sort of plan or, or or dream, I guess, sometimes also. Yeah, well, I was dreaming. I was dreaming of having a home birth. Um, so, like, my ideal birth would have been to have him in a river. His name is River, my son. <laughs> and, like, my dream would be to lean up against a tree, have the support of the tree, Mother Earth beneath my feet, and squat him right down into a river. This would be my dream. Now... I even knew the river I would I would do it in, but I knew this wasn't an option. Um, and so my second option was to have a water birth at home. Um, so that was my dream from the beginning, but I didn't start doing any research into it or looking for my birth team, like, as I said, until later. Um, in the middle of my, my second trimester, it was my first trimester, I was really sick. I didn't actually ever vomit, but I just was so nauseous. I had to be horizontal to not feel nauseous. Um, but it was okay. Like I was happy to just put my feet up. I know some women say they 
they hated that period not being able to move and go out and go around but i was totally cool with it i was like this is what my body needs so i'm putting the feet up getting on a cozy pillow and i'm just gonna let my body rest so that was fine and then yeah second trimester it was like how they say commonly i felt amazing i was glowing my hair was flowing i had energy i felt beautiful and mm. i loved being pregnant at that stage loved it and then even as i got into the third trimester still loved being pregnant started to get uncomfortable but um that's that's when covid hit as well was in my third trimester so that really put a uh, a crinkle in things as far as my birth plan goes yeah. um yeah do you want to talk going. us through what happened with with all of that when was your due date so my due date was may 17th mm. yeah so it's through that first peri period of time wasn't it yeah i think i think we had gone into lockdown in march mm -hmm. march april may like the end of march maybe march 20 something yeah um and we were living at, so by that time I had moved in with my husband um, out in the countryside. And so we were, we had a few neighbors around us, but any of my friends or his family lived within the city limits and there were blockades between us and the city. So nobody can travel to come see us and we couldn't travel out to go see anybody else. Um, we were obviously allowed to go to our doctor's appointments um, at, at the hospital. But so, yeah, so that just, that made things a little murkier for planning my birth. In addition, um, because I had had the fibroidectomy, the, the surgery, um, I was an at-risk candidate for home birth. Um, and because of my age, I was 39 when I gave, I would be giving birth. So also because of that, I wouldn't be able to have the, um, the public health nurses or sorry, the, the public midwives come to my house to let me birth, help me birth at home. Hmm. So I looked at the option of private midwives. Um, but all of this like is clouded in these restrictions that we've put under and I'd be able to, we lived an hour away from the hospital. So if there was an emergency, you know, are we going to be able to get to the hospital in time? What if there's traffic? Yeah. And with, with work ending, my husband's work ended completely. He, um, of course. Um, so with no idea of when money would be flowing back in, Finances were also a consideration in hiring a private midwife and then also would be able to get to us with the blockades. Um, so there were so many things. Um, so just before COVID happened or right around the time I had talked to the coom about doing a water birth. So the coom was the hospital where I, I gave birth. And at the time they were offering water birth. It was a, a research study. Um, so it was kind of like, do water birth in our hospital at your own risk thing, sign this waiver, and which I was happy to do. So we had been signed up for water birth. My good friend was going to come be my doula and birth partner for David and me, but then the restrictions came in place and they were like, 
know only one birth partner and they can only come in for the like once you're 10 centimeters dilated they can come for the birth and then they have to leave oh wow so yeah i was but you know this information didn't come it wasn't clear it was like every week it was called like so what are the restrictions what we oh we don't know yet maybe by the time you give birth your husband will be allowed in and we'll have the pool back um so i was counting on that um so yeah as it got closer and closer i had to come again to like complete surrender and acceptance of i might end up having this baby on my own in the hospital Mm. so how was it to to go through that um uncertainty and what did you did you do something to to help yourself get through that and and come to terms with that yeah well i just had to keep coming to gratitude for the fact that i got pregnant at all and was able to carry this baby to term at all and be able Mm. to birth at all yeah really and i think brene brown would have what did she call that foreboding joy or I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think she'd have something to say about that, but I just, I was like, I just have to be grateful. I get to have a baby at all. Yeah. You know, and even though I had these, this beautiful birth plan and I talked to lots of friends, I talked to as many women who had birthed recently as I possibly could, um, to try to help me feel more comfortable with the idea of a hospital birth. Um, and I just, I manifested, I was like, the idea of having the baby on my own without my partner there was like an impossibility in my mind. I was mm-hmm. like, I will, I will squat this baby in the fucking parking lot if I have to. Like, they are not, they are <laughs> not keeping his daddy out of that room. No yeah. way. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's also how I kind of prepared myself to go in, like, fists up guns blazing like my husband's coming Mm -hmm. um so yeah so it came to the day and he was nine days past his due date Mm. um 40 plus 41 plus two or something and they i had when i had gone into my final my 38 week scan um they said, well, do you just want to come in next week for a, uh, to get a sweep and an induction or an induction? Mm. And I was like, um, no, I don't. Mm. His due date is not for another two weeks. Why would I come in next week to do that? I'm like, well, you know, the schedule's clear and a lot of women like to just get, get them out early. So I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> I just want him to come when he's ready to come. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, if you change your mind, you know, you know where to find us. You know, just give us a call and we can take him out anytime. Mm. That to me was fucking weird. Yeah. I was like, I don't like that we're even having this conversation. Mm. Um, but you know, don't don't be angry, Mandalay. Just, you know, just this is how they do things. You don't have to like let it into your field. No one's forcing yeah. you, just let it go. You had that conversation and not let it go. So I had a few situations like that. Um, So once I knew I was definitely having him in the hospital and that I was definitely not allowed to have him in the birthing pool, um, that it was 100% going to be a medicalized birth, then I had to set my intention on, okay, I want as little to no intervention as possible. Um, 
and I wanted to keep my placenta. Yeah. Which they they said at first they said they would not do that in the hospital. Um, I said I absolutely insisted. So I I talked to a few different midwives and I got to the head midwife, and she agreed that if I brought my own container and plastic bag, that they would keep the placenta for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that they have actually done that for other women. It's just not recommended. And so that was cool. I was happy with that. And then I asked for delay cord clamping. And they were like, why would you want to do that? And I was like, I can't fucking believe you're asking me why I would want to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you not know the benefits of it? Yeah. Um, and they're like, there aren't really any benefits to that. It doesn't really matter. And I'm like, I don't believe you. I know that there are benefits to it. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. Mm. And she said, like, how long? And I said, up to like, till whenever the blood leaves the cord. Um, that's how long I want to do it. However long that takes it. Oh, there's, there's risks with that and infection and this and that. Maybe we could do it for about 10 minutes or so. I was like, all right, we'll see what happens on the day, but I'll just, I'll just make sure I get it as long as I can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so already going into the hospital, I was on the defense as much as I didn't want to be. Um, I did all the preparation that I could. I had a little bag of essential oils. I had been getting acupuncture. My acupuncturist had left um, little needles, little tiny needles on stickers that you could put in your in acupressure points on your body. Um, so in my final session with her, she had left all, all these little tiny needles and stickers at different points in my body and told me at what stages of labor to have my husband press on them to help alleviate pain and pressure. Oh, cool. Um, I've never yeah. heard of that. That sounds really cool. <laughs> Actually, I have um, I have like a handout about it that she sent me. I can probably dig it out of my emails and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll share it on your show notes page. Yeah, so it's like, I guess it's like acupressure during birth, basically. And this is this would be self-acupressure during birth if, because she knew I wouldn't be able to have someone doing like she would be able to come and do it for me. So anyhow, so I had that prepared. So I didn't have a lot of things prepared. Um, and then comes the day when River is coming into this world. So um, two cool things. Like I got to see my mucus plug, like felt it fall out, got to hold it. I had kept it in a jar for a while. Um, and then I think it was 12 or more hours later, my waters broke in the middle of the night when I got up. So that was also really cool to like, just to like be fully present with those first two stages of the birth process. Because I understand some women don't experience those, those parts. A lot of women don't even know about the mucus plug. Um, like I have a friend who just gave birth last week and I was like, look for your plug. She's like, what's the plug? How did I not mm-hmm. know about this? How has nobody told me about the plug? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I felt the same in my first one. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things about like, oh, we all come into this world through a vagina. Mm-hmm. Failing coming through the, the vaginal canal, we are cut out and come straight out of the uterus into the world. I'm like, there's How do we not know everything to do with that process? Yeah. The process by which we come into this world, how are there so many unknowns to us? Yeah. It's crazy. Weird. Isn't it? Yes. Mm. It's weird. Mm. Like 
these are the foundations of our lives. We should know about these things, men and women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, I felt really grateful that I got to like hold my plug and that I got to feel my waters break. And, um, but just after my waters broke, contractions started and they were really, 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 really intense. Now I know contractions are really, I know there's other moms listening who have babies are like, yeah, no shit, lady. Contractions are intense. <laughs> but no, these were really, so like I had a breathwork practice. Like I used to teach pranayama. Um, I would do workshops on chakra healing and um, like I know the breath. I did so much practice of the breath and all the different positions took my body in to, to work through the sensations and the pressure of contractions. And this was something different I could feel. These were not normal starting out contractions. These were like pain level 10. I couldn't walk and I wanted to scream. And um, anyhow, so I, I quickly got my phone. I timed it. It was 20 seconds, right? And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have at least like 10 minutes or maybe even an hour before the next one. 20 seconds later again and I was in the bathroom like crippled and I didn't want to yell for David and wake him up so I'm like oh this isn't going to continue like I'm going to get a break from this and that happened happened so I called the hospital and um best I could I was like you know have since it started and she had to part and we feel this and that what was the color of the discharge and there was there was some ground in it that kind of didn't know that it was meconium um I figured meconium would be a lot more obvious. Um, I guess I thought it would be like actual or something. I don't know what I thought, but I hadn't given meconium much thought, but I had it. And she didn't tell me that, but she just said, okay, you need to come in. And I was like, well, well, like, I don't want to be in the hospital without my husband, because that's what happens when women go to the hospital right now. They go into the labor room and their birth partner has to stay outside in the car until they're almost 10 centimeters dilated and then the birth partner can come in. So I was like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather be here at home where I'm comfortable and I want to labor until, you know, my contractions are four minutes apart or whatever it's meant to be. Or 10 minutes apart, whatever you tell me, and then I'll come in. And she's like, no, I think you need to come in now. And I was like, whatever, fuck that. I'm not going in now. Yeah. I'm in the shower. So even though these are super intense, I just, okay, I have to adjust to this. I'm going to use my breath. So I got paid it up he came to help me got me in the shower the warm water did really help like didn't take it away i still felt crippled like i couldn't get down onto all fours i couldn't reach my arms up like my body was completely atrophied um in the contractions and i knew one caller again i was in the shower i was like asked them if i could get into the bathtub i'd really love to get in the bathtub this will help me and they were like no bathtub get her into the hospital now we're being serious we already told her life she needs to come here now. so then that was really scary so anyway we got in the car i think it was like around 2 a.m at this point and luckily because there was no one on the streets so david just like blew through every stoplight um we had a dog who had separation anxiety her name is Ananda, and so we had to first go drop her off at the neighbors so they could look after her when we went to the hospital. Um, so it was like a funny midnight journey of me having contractions in the front seat and having to wake up the neighbors to handle the dog to get to the hospital in the city. It was definitely like movie material. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So once you get into city limits, he like blows through all the stoplights, like screeches into the parking lot. They're already out there waiting for me with, with a wheelchair and like get out of the car and I just like collapse to the ground in, in pain. And they're like lifting me up and they're like, okay, well, your husband has to stay out here. We're going to put you in this wheelchair and bring you in. And I'm like, please just come in. They're like, no, he cannot come in. And it's just like fine, you know, I, I can't even stand on my own, so I'll go up there with them in this wheelchair. And it was actually not even the nurse, the nurse disappeared. Um, so yeah, so it was me and this like big massive security guard wheeling through the hospital up the lifts to the to the maternity ward. Um, I remember being in the in the lift with him and there was a mirror in the lift or like a reflection. Um it's just like it's me and this big dude. Who I've never met a stranger and then in full contractions and how mm. like, oh, this is just not how we pictured things. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So anyways, he got me up to, to the doctor and the, the midwives and they examined me and they were like, okay, you have a lot of meconium one, which is not, um, it's not super dangerous, but later on could be dangerous depending on how long labor lasts. Um, so it's something to consider, but also I think I was like one centimeter dilated. So they said for the intensity and the frequency of my contractions, that was not consistent with being only one centimeter dilated. They expected me to be dilated much more to, to how many centimeters I don't remember. But, um, so they considered this an emergency at this point because they had unanswered questions. Mm. So because of that silver lining, my husband was allowed to come in. Mm, that's good though. Yeah, no, it was really good. So again, like what I say to women preparing for birth is, you know, have your beautiful birth plan, but then also be prepared to throw it completely out of the window and accept the birth that you're having. Yeah. The baby's gonna come however they wanna come, right? Yeah. It's their, it's their choice, I think. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's what I had to surrender to at that point. And I was so grateful that David could be with me. So I was pretty happy to be having an emergency birth <laughs> at that stage. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care about the water as much anymore. I was like, whatever, I have my birth partner here. And that's the most important thing right now. So, so yeah, so they wheeled, wheeled me into, into the room and David came along and then I labored for 11 hours <laughs> um, and I had all the intervention in that time. Um, so yeah, I ended up having an epidural, a light epidural, if you will. Um, I tried gas, so I was on all fours in there. That was the best way for me to be on all fours on the bed. Remember midwife being like, oh, you can just sit down on your butt. And I was like, no, I can't. Actually, this is the way my body needs to be right now. It's like, okay. And I had to go to the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom and there was a shower in there. I was like, yes, I can like be under the hot water in the shower. And actually sitting on the toilet felt really good for my body. Um, so I asked, can I just stay here in the bathroom for a while? And like, maybe use the shower. And they were like, nope no shower, you can't sit on the toilet, you have to be in this hospital bed. And like, it was a big room to move around. But oh, wow. I had, why, why yeah, was that? I have no idea. I don't That's know. Crazy. I guess because of these restrictions, maybe they were, uh, I don't, 
I don't know exactly what it was, um, but mm -hmm. like they were all wearing masks. Right. So maybe it was a cleanliness thing. Um, I think there's also like they feel like they have less control if you're not just in the bed. If you're just in the bed in that little space, they can control what you're doing and what yeah, happens. I guess so. Yeah. Like if you fall on the floor and hurt yourself, they've got another consideration of probably having you. Um, so, so yeah, so that was fine. So I sent it all for them on the bed and, um, like, I can't remember. A few people came in to see me. There was one midwife that was there. And actually, when my contractions came, again, every 20 seconds, she, she, there was a point on my back and right under my belly button, she would press and it took everything away. This lady was like magic. It took almost everything away and I could move through the contractions like beautifully with my breath. Wow. Does she know yeah. something that the rest of us don't know? <laughs> well, I mean, there, yeah, I guess there are some women who are really skilled at this. Mm -hmm. Like, as my acupuncture said, if you press on these certain points, it needs to save you some labor. Totally help. Um, but that, so that, that midwife, I was planning on showing her those. But she, her shift ended and she left. And she was like, the next midwife is that she might know how to do that, the pressure points too. Well, she didn't. So, so yeah, I was saying that even though I had all these these little needles on my body to press, like my partner couldn't press them hard enough mm. to alleviate, um, yeah, to help me move through the contractions. So they were like, "Why don't you try this gas?" So I tried the gas, but it made me feel really nauseous. Mm. So I was like, "I don't want that." Um, so I was like, are there any other pain options or is there somebody here that's skilled like to help me with these pressure points or get me into different positions? And they were like, no, no, there's no one here to do that. Um, we can offer you the epidural, which I understand there's a third pain relief option, like a pill or something. I can't remember the name of it, but anyhow, mm. do you know what it is? I don't know. I feel, is it this one fentanyl? Is it that one? Maybe, Maybe it's that it wrong, one, but it's like a pill that's a little bit stronger than your paracetamol, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it could be helpful. Yeah. I think, I think something like that, but I, I reserve myself from saying the wrong name. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely sounds like that name or, or very mm. similar to it, but mm. um, I didn't even learn about this until after my birth, someone else had said, said did they not offer you the fentanyl? It was like, no, they just offered me the epidural. So yeah, I was, I was not able, it was a couple of hours at this point and I was becoming so exhausted. Um, and the pain level was so high. I felt I was going to pass out. I can't remember at what point exactly I decided, fine, I'll, I'll try the epidural. Um, but the, the first, anesthesiologist who came to give it to me had no bedside manner she pissed me off so much um and i was trying not to have that vibration during my my birth because i didn't want it to pass on to my son i didn't want him to to feel me afraid or angry or or anything i just wanted it to be peaceful for him but um she just treated me like a total subject like she stayed so far away from me in the room and she was speaking to the back of me, didn't come around and make any eye contact. So 
Um, anyways, I said it to her, like, can you come over here and make some eye contact with me and like talk to me like a normal person, please? I'm not diseased. I'm, you know, like you're supposed to be helping me here. So she did. And then when she was trying to put the epidural in, um, basically she couldn't get it in. She said I was breathing too much and moving my body too much, but I was having contractions every 20 seconds. So I was having to breathe. And she's like, you need to hold your breath. You have to stop moving. And I was like, I can only hold my breath and stop moving for 20 seconds, lady, until another contraction is coming. Like I'm doing my best. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a pretty scary part of it too. Um, yeah. And she was like, oh, I can't do this. I, I have to get someone else. And I was like, all right, that's fine. So another a, a senior anesthesiologist came in and he's like, listen, I hear you that you really don't want this epidural, but let me tell you something. I see the pain you're in. And the level of pain you're experiencing right now or sensation if you want to say sensation instead of pain um is like someone that is 10 centimeters dilated and ready to push mm-hmm. he's like we need to find out why you're you're at this stage right now and only dilated so little um mm-hmm. because it's not right what's happening so that helped me feel more comfortable with um with taking the epidural and he said, listen, we can give you a small amount. You don't, I was like, I don't want to be numb. I want to be present for my birth. I want to feel my body. I don't want to not feel my contractions, you know? Um, and he was like, cool, we can do that. We'll just give you the tiniest bit, see how you go. We can give more. So that was cool. I felt really comfortable with him and the epidural helped a lot. I could still feel my contractions, um, still pretty intensely, but I was able to use my tools of breath and connection to Mother Earth and the stars and my baby. Like I was able to then finally be present with my birth rather than feeling completely out of control. Um, so that's one thing I would say to women who, who really don't want medical intervention, you know, sometimes can actually help you to get into the mindset and the energetic place you need to be the birth in a more peaceful way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was my experience anyway. Um, so yeah, then, so the epidural helped a lot. Um, I was, I wasn't completely numb from the waist down, but like I couldn't walk, you know, my legs felt kind of jelly. Um, and then my contraction started coming three at a time, like right on top of each other. And um, my baby's heart rate was like raising and dropping. And um, while this was happening, loads of different doctors and midwives were coming in at one point. I think there were 11 medical professionals in the room. Wow. Um, and I, I was still only four centimeters dilated. And maybe this was six or seven hours and. So there was a lack of clarity too happening while we were in there. And I could see David's face. He was like white the whole time. Like just not knowing, like we, I knew I fully trusted that, that my son would arrive safely. It was just how, how long are we going to be in this uncertainty of when he's arriving, why things are going this way for us. Um, so yeah, then they, they had to give me, what the Pitocin is it mm-hmm. to, yeah. to make you 
to open up the cervix. So they gave me some of that. That's when the triple contraction started. So they're like, okay, well, we have to reduce the Pitocin. So we give you an injection of the leg to, to slow that part down. And at that point, I was just like, shit. They're, I'm just getting all this intervention now. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I just, I just have to be with it and, and stay calm. And, um, so that was my focus. I was just like, stay calm for your baby. Just trust that he's going to get here safely and let the, let the doctors do what they need to do to your body to, to get him here again, not at all how I, how I planned it or would have wanted it, but really grateful that I have the tools and I knew going in that it could end up like this. Um, so once, once River's heart rate stabilized and my contractions went back just to normal frequency, um, uh, they, and also they had to vaginally examine a number of times. Oh, I should have said the reason I was experiencing the the contractions at 20 seconds apart and so painfully was because he was um, a stargazer or OPF, mm-hmm. they say. Yeah. So his head, yeah, his his head wasn't was engaged, but not the right part of his head. So that was causing the pain to be far more than than it could have been. Um, so they examined me vaginally a number of times. Um, and we tried spinning my body around in different ways best we could. But of course, since I had the epidural, there wasn't many ways we could, we could move my body to help him get into the right position. So it came to a point that, that one of the head doctors came in and she said, listen, you're heading on to an emer- like a real emergency situation. We could do a C-section right now. Um, and get him out totally safely and know that you're going to be safe. Um, or we could wait, um, a couple more hours maximum and see if he does start to come on his own. Because at this point now he was retracting. I guess he was going back up. Um, and yeah, she said, or we can wait, see if he wants to come on his own. But from my experience, a mother who has labored as long as you have with no food or, or very little water, like you're completely wrecked. The chances of you being able, being able to push him all the way through are slim um, because you are so exhausted and because you need that much power to be able to push. Um, Cause he's not, he's not sliding out easily, you know, but he's just, it's just not one of those births. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to sit with this. Like, I really don't want a C-section, but if we go the second route and he comes and I start pushing or he's like in the, in the birth canal, um, and we can't get him all the way through, then they're going to have to use forceps. So she's like, this is really going towards a forceps birth if you don't do the C-section. So sat with it and I was like I just need to tune into his energy and and see what like see what he wants see what I really want um see what's meant to be happening for us I had to check my ego that you know I I really wanted a vaginal birth Mm. so it's like as if my ego like needing to fulfill the story that I've had for myself what he wants what did he need and what came through was I just wanted him to have the most peaceful entrance to this world as possible. Yeah. 
Um, and for me, that was the C-section in my mind to be pulled out with having a choice to be pulled out with or without metal clamps around your skull. Um, to me, that, that feels very traumatic. Um, so I chose to do the C-section um, and before it became a, an emergency emergency. Um, to me, it felt like, like the vision I had from him was like, it's okay, mom. They'll just like, it's just like, they'll zipper you open and they'll lift me out and it will be all calm and, you know, controlled and it won't be all crazy and not knowing if I'm coming out or not coming out. Like now we know I'm coming out and I'm just coming out a different way. So it's like, he spoke to me. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And, it made me comfortable with the exact thing I didn't want to do, you know? So, um, mm. so yeah, so we, we got prepared for the C-section. We went in, um, the doctors were lovely. The, the staff in there were all really lovely and made me feel super comfortable and they got him out. No problem. He was breathing perfectly. He was absolutely perfect. And when they held him up over the curtain for us to have our first look at him, um, it's like he looked like like we all knew each other forever. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, that incredible yeah. feeling when you see your baby for the first time and it's like, oh, I know you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was coming here to meet a stranger, but we, of course, know each other. So, yeah. like, and he latched immediately. Um, so it was, yeah, it was everything from from that point was fine and perfect. I had very little pain um, after I think I had so much oxytocin flowing in my body. Um, despite having had the intervention, I know they sometimes say, oh, if you we have intervention that can prevent your body's natural oxytocin from flowing, but that wasn't my experience. I had plenty right. flowing. Mm. Um, the only thing that did suck a bit is that we had to be in the hospital for four days and David was not allowed to visit us. Oh, yeah. Was he allowed so, to be there a little bit at least after, uh, just after uh, the birth? Yeah, he was allowed to stay for 10 minutes. So he was allowed to hang out with his new son for 10 minutes and then he had to go. Oh, 10 minutes. I know. Yeah. It was, it, yeah, it was like, this really sucks. It's unbelievable that you get such a short amount of time, but also everything we've just been through, we're just so freaking happy that, He's here yeah. and he's yeah. healthy. And so we'll take it. We'll yeah. take it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So after four days, they're in the hospital. It was like they took really, they took, they took really good care of us. Um, and yeah, I was just completely in love for those four days. It wouldn't have mattered where I was. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered at all where I was. Um, and yeah, then he came to pick us up four days later and the the fourth trimester, like that those first 40 days of having the newborn at home was like the best time of my entire life. I loved that period more than anything. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to talk us through a little bit what you, how you spent it? Yeah. So like I said, we were living out in the countryside, so we had very few neighbors and any neighbors we had were pretty far away. So we felt like we had like a lot of clear energy around us. Um, and because of the lockdown, nobody could come visit us, which was a bit of a blessing because 
we have planned to have at least the first week or so just be us and have no visitors. Um, that was important to us that you just swim in our energy and in the energy of our home um, for its first week or so here on Earth. Mm. Um, so, but then after a couple of weeks, it did get lonely and we wanted to introduce some people and, you know, share our joy with our friends and our family, our community. And we couldn't really because we weren't allowed. Um, so, but it still was the sweetest time ever being in that little man's part. Exhausting, of course, but for us, it was, you know, it's the ultimate excuse to be able to just slow down and be present. Yeah, You don't absolutely. have to go to work. You don't have to answer to anybody. You're allowed 100% with your baby. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, that was awesome. Um, but then we ended up moving away. There were various reasons why, why we had to sell our house and we, there were some stressful things happening around that. Um, so, so yeah, so we left Ireland, I think when he was about, and, and all the lockdown was making it very, like I'd be coming out of the fourth trimester soon and we were still in lockdown with no idea of when people were going to be able to, to connect, to hug each other again, to go back to work, to go back to their normal lives. So that was really weird to, to be welcoming a baby into the world with all that, that going on. Um, and to not have any of my family nearby. So, um, I really longed to, to be with my parents and, and share our son with them and my brother. So we, um, we went, we sold our house and we went to the U.S. to be with my family for a while where the restrictions were, were a lot less. We felt like we had a lot more freedom. Um, yeah, and then from there, we went to Guatemala for a while um, to support the women we with in, in bringing cacao to Europe and to explore it as a possibility of living for a while. And from there, we ended up here in southern Portugal. Um, and once we got here and we, yeah, but once we got here and we landed, a, a bit of postpartum depression set in. It was like, you know, there's so many stages to, after birth yeah you know it's like people think okay the baby's here and now you're a mother but there's the first few weeks and then there's the first couple months and then there's like the first year and then yeah. after the year like every month there's such a big transition yeah um and it's like not just in the baby but in in yourself as the mother there's a huge transition, at least I have felt every single month. Yeah. I feel different and changed in some way. Me and me and my friends here, we talk a lot about this, that we're always in postpartum. You know, I have a five-year-old and I feel like I'm sometimes within that with him as well, you know? Yeah, no, I can imagine. I, yeah, R River's almost two and I still consider myself like postpartum. Yeah, you're right. We talked a little bit before about the um, some ancient rituals that I did um, to yeah. help me through that. That would be wonderful if you could share a little bit. It's very interesting. Yeah, so I had met, so I joined a, a women's circle as soon as I arrived here. There's actually down here in the Algarve, there are a lot of birth keepers. 
there's a movement happening here. A lot of women who are birth keepers or concerned and aware of conscious natural birth are here right now. And we're meeting, um, we're sharing ideas and we're supporting each other. And in that, I realized, yeah, I'm experiencing some, some postpartum depression. Um, and for various reasons, and someone suggested to me how, yes, one of the, one of the women suggested that I receive what is called the closing the bones ritual, the, the ancient practice, I guess, from Mexico and Ecuador also practiced in Peru. And I imagine in other countries of Central and South America, um, but it's most well known from Mexico and Ecuador, from what I understand. And it's a ritual that women, um, receive usually in the days after or weeks after giving birth, but it can be any time after giving birth, even years later, and you can receive the ritual many times if that's what you need. Um, and it's basically, I think, in its most basic um, performance, I guess, is the therapist or the practitioner would use rebose. And sorry to anyone listening to this who is a closing the bones practitioner, if I <laughs> misstate anything. Um, I recommend anyone listening to, to look it up, do your research. It's an incredible ritual, but on its most basic level, the practitioner takes rebozos, which are sacred Mexican cloths, and they, they put them like under the hips of the woman and give the, give them a massage. So they give your body a massage with these, um, they look kind of like scarves, if, if you will, pieces of long pieces of fabric. And I don't know if in every tradition they mummify the body, but I was mummified. So they wrap up your whole body in numerous um, scarves, so like you're a complete mummy. Um, and then you, I'm sure that they, so in my experience, two women performed this for me. We did a complete yoni steam with beautiful, fresh herbs and flowers. Um, we did a flower bath in my bathroom here in our home. Um, they did a two hands oil massage. And then and the whole time, one of them was singing um, sacred songs. Um, they played a drum, they played various sacred instruments um, throughout the process. And we ended with the rebozo massage and then mummifying my body. And it's like, you're going through, you're, clo you're literally closing up the bones of the hips that expand during birth mm -hmm. and it's like a repair of the woman's body after the marathon that it goes through after the trauma it goes through of giving birth to a baby so um so yes yeah, so that's what it and you have to break out so you're mummified and you have to i thought they were going to then unmummify me but they're like nope you have to break out now like eyes and everything covered and i'm like what i have to break out of this and they're like, yes, you can do it. Break out of this. And they're like, let it all go. All the trauma of the birth. Come back into your new body. And I'm like, you know, crying. And oh, it was so powerful. Super powerful. Um, they held me. We were all crying. And yeah, um, 
after that, we we celebrated. We had some cacao and we smiled and laughed. And I did I did feel like like a new woman. Mm. Um. So so yeah, I reckon I know that there are practitioners all over the world who are trained in this this sacred practice. So I recommend to any woman postpartum to look for to, for a practitioner near them. That sounds really beautiful. I will, after this, I will ask you for some, maybe some tips on, on how to find, find your way towards, um, towards one of those rituals as well. And we can share it on your show notes page also. It sounds like something every birthing person should, should get to experience after giving birth to me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Like 100%. Why? how we've lost it and maybe other ancient civilizations had these rituals as well but they've just Mm. been lost like Mm. i wonder um but i guess in in mexico they it's still very much alive like i have a friend who's over there now doing a training um in this ritual and yeah i completely agree with you that birthing people need something something because it's such a huge spiritual transformation birth however the birth happens like you need something to for that next rite of passage like yeah after the birth yeah to to process it also um emotionally Mm. i think yeah yeah oh that sounds lovely i'm i'm um I'm interested and I'm going to look into it. And if I ever have another baby, I'd love to, I'd love to, to have one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Great. Do you have any, is there anything you'd like to add or do you have any, any other references that you haven't mentioned yet or, or anything else before we finish today? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for holding this space. Um, it is so important. It's vital that women get to share, um, share their birth stories. Like if before I had the closing the bones ritual and many other self healings, and I wouldn't have even been able a year ago, I would not have been able to have this conversation with you because Mm -hmm. I held so much from the experience. And, um, so I think that you're, that you're doing this work is incredible. So thank you so much. Oh, thank um, you. yeah, it's, again, this should also be part of the post birth process, mm. being able yeah. to share. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I think that the two resources, I'm sure some other resources will crop up, um, that were a big part of my journey and I will send those on to you to include in the show notes, but Definitely. And if it's not a closing the bones ritual, if you and your sisters and your community can create a ritual of your own mm-hmm. to close off the birth experience for you, um, I'd recommend doing something, anything, yeah. um, any little ceremony you can. And then, yeah, for, for women struggling with fertility, I know it's such a hard road. I know it's so hard to trust. But if you can, yeah, just keep coming back to trusting that your path is your path mm-hmm. and try not to resist it too much. Because the more resistance I feel, the longer you end up waiting. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much 
Mandalay, yeah. for sharing your beautiful story with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thanks again, Mandalay, for coming on and sharing your beautiful birth story with us here today. If you guys are listening in and you'd like to reach out to Mandalay, you can find all of her info on the show notes page on ninemonthspodcast.com. You can also find the directory there. If you want to listen to a specific kind of birth story, you can find everything there that you might need. Um, if you'd like to share your own birth story, don't hesitate to reach out. Also, send me an email, the nine months podcast at gmail.com. And I'll be back next week again with yet another beautiful story for you guys. Have a wonderful week ahead. <laughs>